it's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Hey, everybody. This is Doug Robertson with another edition of the Southern Fried Soccer Podcast. It is August 19th. I hope you all are having a good day. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Doug Robertson AJC and on Facebook at Atlanta United News Now. Last night, the 18th, Atlanta United defeated Toronto 1-0 on a goal, a fantastic goal, I should say, by Ezekiel Barco. It was the team's third consecutive win, the first time they've done that since August 2019, and their second consecutive shutout, the first time they've done that since October 2020. With the win, combined with DC United's loss and Montreal's draw, means that Atlanta United is now just three points behind Uh, 6th and 7th place for the final two playoff spots in the East. It's a very crowded Eastern Conference. Just to run down the table for you real quick, New England remains in the lead for the Supporters' Shield with 46 points, Nashville with 32, NYCFC with 31, Philadelphia with 31, Orlando with 31, and then there's a little bit of separation, D.C. with 27, Montreal with 27, Columbus with 24, Atlanta with 24, New York Red Bulls with 22, and Chicago with 20. I'm not including Miami and Cincinnati. I I just don't think they have the sustainability uh, to move up the table. Uh, Most of the teams have played 20 games. New England has played 21. NYCFC's only played 19. Orlando's only played 19. Um, Atlanta United will play at D.C. on Saturday in what amounts to a six-pointer. Atlanta United has never done well at uh, D.C., whether it be RFK or Audi Field. Um, so it's going to be a very challenging game. And D.C. rested a couple of key players uh, last night in its game ahead of Saturday. So it could be a very, very important game for the Five Stripes. Uh, the team last night uh, debuted Luis Araujo. Araujo. I get that right in my head, and I mispronounce it, and I very much apologize to Luis, uh, who looked very, very bright. Um, Last night, it was a good performance. He didn't create a chance. He had two shots, one on goal, but his skill was evident uh, for a guy who had been training for about a week uh, with a team, new stadium, new turf, which does take some getting used to, everything. I thought it was a fantastic performance. Um, He didn't force anything. He kind of played within the team, played within the formation. It was was a good thing to see. Uh, Atlanta United... Statistically, it was a really good performance, 21 shots, but only four on goal. It created 19 chances, uh, which I think ties a season high. It might be a little bit less than a season high. Um, 
Brooks Linden created four, Martinez with four, Barco with four, Moreno with three, Sosa with two. So all around it was a good effort. But when you watch the team, it didn't really seem like a good effort. Um, there wasn't a lot of movement on offense. There wasn't a lot of balls over the top. There wasn't a lot of runs in behind. It was uh, static on offense. I think part of that is Valentino tried to go with a 3-4-3 formation uh, to get uh, Luis and Martinez and Barco and Moreno on the field at the same time. Um, this formation has been tried by Frank. It's been tried by Heinze. It was tried, I think, by Stephen Glass. And it just it doesn't work. Uh, if you're trying to play attacking, one-touch soccer, with this group of players, it just doesn't work. Um, and I think I'm, I can comfortably say that because we've seen it tried over and over again. Um, it's, it's a very complicated, complex formation. It involves a lot of understanding between players, communication between players, instinct between players. And it just takes a while. Um, so we'll see if they if they bring it out again. I I know Valentino, the, the five at the back has really, really worked for Atlanta United, but I'll be a little bit surprised if they don't try to go with like a 4-2-3-1 against D.C. United, um, get another guy in the midfield. They talked about there was too many gaps between the back line and the front line after the game last night, and they think that's what affected movements and stuff like that. So I think that could be part of it. And the easy switch is a 4-2-3-1, puts another player in midfield. I don't know which center back you take off. Uh, they've all played well between Anton Walks, Alan Franco, and Miles Robinson. Um, so anyway, we'll see uh, what happens. Again, as always, you can find me on Twitter at Doug Robertson AJC, on Facebook at Atlanta United News Now, and on Instagram at Douglas David Robertson. I'm going to get into your questions here really quick. Uh, just to summarize Toronto, st- statistically, uh, 14 shots, just three on goal. Uh, they were out-possessed 57-43. to 43. Uh, Toronto created 12 chances. Uh, you know, their team, they didn't start uh, Jefferson Soteldo. They didn't start um, Alejandro Pizuelo. And it just... His 30-something minutes, Pozuelo created five chances, which is crazy. Soteldo uh, created three, which is also crazy. So between them, they created eight chances. And uh, just for my own curiosity, uh, in about 28 minutes. It's just nuts. Um, so Atlanta United's defense was a bit on roller skates at times. Last night, particularly on Bellow's side, Marino didn't really mark very well on his side. Uh, so Bellow was being asked to try to defend two guys at times. So that's something that Valentino, because he's going to get one more game, we're going to talk about that in a second, uh, needs to try to fix before his Saturday. Barco played excellent defense last night. He's really becoming the player that I think at Lenny United expected when they purchased him. Sometimes it just takes a while uh, because of um, maturation and, and just all sorts of different reasons. But he is really, really becoming a fantastic player. He now has tied a season high 
in goals and assists for Atlanta United with four and four. Uh, the team still has 14 games remaining, so he should easily set high marks uh, in both those areas, and then we will see what happen, happens. So, as y'all like to comment on Twitter, because I guess I talk about it on the podcast, I'm going to take a quick coffee sip before I get into your questions. I hope you encourage, well, I encourage you to do the same. All right. Carson asks, if Arajo turns out to be a decent signing, do you think he is here long term? I don't think he is a player bought with the intention of flipping, and he is in his prime. So he could be a player you build around for a couple of years. Uh, well, yeah, a couple of years isn't exactly long term, uh, but yeah, I think he's a player that Atlanta United builds around, and then you see what happens. Um, you know, nine million reportedly for him could go as high as twelve million. So I think Atlanta United is going to want to get that money back by selling him. Uh, it just depends on where he goes. But again, he looked really, really fantastic last night. He completed ninety three point three percent of his passes. Uh, he had forty nine touches, uh, thirty passes, ninety three point three had two tackles. Again, just a really bright player last night uh, in his debut. So let's go to the second question. Patrick says, from the TV show My Name is Earl, which I thought was a fantastic uh, TV show. I love that show. Uh, Just because the characters were already so well-developed and played pretty well. Uh, I can't help to think that good karma built by the current staff and players is a feather in our cap helping secure these last few W's. Uh, Sure, if you believe in karma, and I do, uh, then yeah, you could argue that. Um, You could also argue that it's just probability. Bad things that happened previously are now being offset by good things happening now. Um, But things that didn't go in Atlanta United's favor earlier in this season are going in their favor now. Toronto had a couple of chances late, one by Bradley and one by, um, I can't remember, I think it was Lorea. Toward the end of the game, that either should have been put on goal, neither were. Uh, That's the difference between, like, the results against um, Philadelphia and uh, Nashville at the beginning of, uh, or in May and June, when Atlanta United gave up leads in those games. Um, That's four drop points. Atlanta could be above the playoff line right now, if not for those moments. Uh, and now those moments are going in Atlanta United's favor. Adam asks, was last night our best starting 11, even if everyone is healthy? If Hyman wasn't out for the season, who would you take off for him, if anyone? Will we start to see more player rotation soon, or do you think Pineda will stick with a consistent lineup? Um... Yeah, I think it was the best 11. I think you'd probably see a formation change and one of the center backs come out and go with a 4-2-3-1 with probably Sosa and Heinemann as the double pivots with Barco, Moreno, and Araujo as the midfielders and Martinez as the striker. That's probably what I would do. I think that Valentino has done some player rotation. Um, he uses his subs a lot more than did Heinze. So you're seeing some guys with fresh legs coming on. Mateus Uzetu didn't play last night. He's got a knock. He's day-to-day uh, with a leg thing, apparently. Um, so don't quite understand that one, but we'll see if he plays on Saturday. 
Um, now going to Michael. It's exciting to see the team having fun again, he says. There were quite a few cheeky passes, and it looked like those front four of Marco Moreno, Joseph, and Luis had been playing together for years at times in the first half. How good can this attack be? I think it could be very good. Something that Valentino slash Pineda are going to have to figure out, though, is how to get the most out of Marino when he's not in the middle because I thought he again struggled a little bit uh, when he was playing out on the wing. He, he doesn't track back defensively as well as he's supposed to, and he just doesn't seem to see the field as well as he does in the middle. Um, but perhaps with repetition will come instinct and you'll get the results. If, if we keep growing, Michael asks, are we a threat to the top teams in the league again? Uh, I don't know if I would say you're a threat this season uh, because you've got to qualify for the playoffs first. But if the team makes the playoffs, then yeah. I mean, I think they could be a threat against anybody. Coffee sip. Now let's go on to our next fantastic questioner. Chris asks, You've talked a lot on your podcast about how Valentino has inspired Barco to play better. What you haven't talked about is maybe the biggest improvement on the field, Kubo Torres. <laughs> he and Jackson Conway have both played better off the bench from the start, but Kubo, since Valentino took over, has been an absolute pest for defenses. His play in the corner against Columbus should be played on a loop with Yakety Sacks playing over it. That's a good call. He had a couple of times last night where he made Toronto do things they didn't want to, like Westberg one-touching poor clearances under pressure just by existing in those spaces. How does Pineda keep Kubo playing well when Heinze and Glass both struggled in that area? Well, I think that Kubo knows exactly his role for Atlanta United now. He knows exactly what he's supposed to do, and he's an intelligent, nice person. He can just go out and do it. Um, and he, you're right. He has been doing it very well. If you're bringing him in to start and to try to be an impactful player as a starter, I don't think that's going to happen. Um, but in the role that he's being asked to play, he could spend a lot of energy very quickly, and he is doing it very well. So that's a very good call, Chris. Thank you very much. A different Chris asks, could you please elaborate on why Gonzalo Pineda won't be taking over until Tuesday? It seems like if COVID protocols prevent him from coaching until then, they would also prevent him from flying to Washington and joining the team on Saturday. So uh, I was told COVID protocols, what I think was meant by that is there's no point in bringing Pineda to coach the team in a game on Saturday when he hasn't trained with the team. So he's going to fly from Seattle, be with the team on Saturday, but Valentino is going to coach. Then the next training session for the team isn't going to be until Tuesday. They're going to get two days off. And that is when Pineda is going to pick up leading the team. Um, so that is the explanation behind that. It doesn't make any sense to have him coach when he hasn't been able to train the team. So the cover protocols are related to him picking up training, which was supposed to start today. It won't happen now until Tuesday. And Chris continues, and this is one of my favorite questions of all time. This is honestly more of a complaint slash question for fellow supporters. Could United fans finally stop booing Michael Bradley when Toronto comes to town? 
The people sitting near me who do it say it's still because of the U.S. team's loss to Trinidad four years ago that kept us out of the World Cup. I know you're not a fan of his either, but it's just ridiculous. By that logic, we should be booing Guzan every game. He was on that team too. Yeah, and it's still a little odd that Bradley gets booed after four years. But, you know, if you still feel that strongly about it, I'm not going to tell people not to do it. I think they could probably spend their energy in more positive, better ways. But, you know, Bradley was the captain of the team. It was a team that just lacked passion, lacked inspiration, it looked like, uh, which is not typical of a Bruce Arena team. And when Bradley's the captain, he's going to get the blame. And that's part of it. Um, yeah, I've not been a fan of Michael Bradley's. I think that he is kind of ghosted on reputation for a long, long time. Um, probably the past 10 years. I know Toronto's been a good team and he's been in the lineup. But if you look at statistically, you look at everything else, his contributions were, I think, more a credit to Altador, Giovinco, Pizuelo, all the players around than, it, than the things he did. Fine player, good player, but not what I think everyone tried to make him out to be. And that's a, that's a wonderful thing about opinions. Everybody has one. And if you don't believe me, you can go and look him up statistically uh, and see if you believe me or believe the others. Because... Stats, whether you like them or not, it are kind of the final call on a lot of things. So let's just for a second look up his career stats. So he's supposed to be a guy who is a fantastic passer and visionary with the ball. The most assists he's ever gotten with Toronto are six in a season, and that was in 2015 when the team scored a ton of goals. The most goals he've ever scored with Toronto are five. That happened the same year. That's just not very many uh, for a guy who's supposed to be a visionary passer. Uh, he's not a very good tackler, not a very good defender, doesn't win balls in the air. Gets a lot of recoveries, but that's work done by teammates on loose balls. Um, that's just how it is. All right, let's continue with questions. Nick says, from inside the stadium, it was quite frustrating to watch them not do much in the second half after a decent first half. Were they struggling because of Toronto's low block, or was it the return a bit of Heinz ball? Maybe both. I don't know, but that's why I ask you. I, I, as I said before, I think it was a more function of the formation. Um, if you watch the team in the first half, a lot of times they had five guys across the top line. Uh, that would be Moreno, Barco, Martinez... Bella and Lennon. So Sosa, Walks, Robinson, and Franco were having to try to connect long, long passes, or there just wasn't anyone to pass to, so they'd have to go sideways and backward, which Valentino does not want to see and does not like. Um, so it was a little weird that they brought the formation out again. Lennon talked about the gaps between the lines. They got to get those closed up. I think a lot of times also is the players aren't going to make a run because there's already a player kind of in that space that they were going to run into, which is kind of the problem with the 3-4-3. Um, but I could be wrong about that, but that's just my take on it. 
And Adam, in our final question, uh, asks, no technical questions for me tonight, as I know you'll hit on all of my interests in the general discussion. So I'll ask this. If we weren't blessed with Atlanta United, what would you be doing and which team would you follow as a fan? Well, I would be doing whatever my boss wanted me to do. Gosh knows that we've got more stuff to cover than we have people. Uh, that's been the way for a long, long time. For those of you who didn't grow up in Atlanta, this sports staff used to have probably 50 reporters. And I'm not joking. We covered everything. Every college football game in the South, every big national game, we covered. Olympics, we would send staffs. Masters, we'd send an army. Um, and that's the way it was because papers, newspapers, you know, had the resources then. Now, I don't know how many we have. You can count the bylines. Uh, it's probably 10, 11, 12. Uh, trying to cover probably even more stuff within the city, just within the city, than we had back then. Um, so I will be doing whatever my fantastic boss, Chris Vivlemore, would ask of me. Uh, as for what team I would follow as a fan, I don't really know. That's a really good question. Uh, I don't really know if I'm a fan of anybody other than maybe Liverpool. It's just a function of the job, and so it kind of just has numbed me out, so to speak, uh, about teams. Um, my family laughs because I don't usually watch sports with a sound on because most announcers, not all, but most announcers drive me crazy particularly college football and pro football announcers because they all work so hard to try to sound like everybody else. And when you do that, you get nothing unique. You get nothing insightful. There are always exceptions. Um, there are a lot of really good soccer announcers because they don't do that. They don't do coach speak, a lot of them. They don't do the cliches. They are unique. They are insightful. And, and uh, you know, they'll be critical. Some of them will which is a lot different than like the Braves announcers. Uh, it's one of the reasons I appreciate Steve Holman so much for the Hawks is when they're playing poorly, he'll call them out. And that's a difficult thing uh, for some people to do. Um, so I don't really know who I would follow as a fan. There are cities that I love to go to, Nashville, Chicago, Philadelphia, DC, Portland, Seattle, Vancouver, love those places. Uh, I don't know about the teams. Uh, but anyway, I appreciate the questions. We're going to wrap up this podcast now. Again, Atlanta United defeats Toronto one to nothing on a fantastic deflected goal by Ezekiel Barco. Uh, the team will play at DC United on Saturday, a very, very important game at a place that Atlanta United has rarely uh, performed well at. That game is at 8 o'clock. It's going to be on the Bally Networks. You can follow my coverage on Twitter. Uh, you can listen to the guys on 92.9 uh, uh, that night. Uh, I hope that y'all are doing well. If you haven't gotten vaccinated, please consider doing so. Please consider wearing masks in public. It's for the greater good. And I'm going to wrap up this Southern Fried Soccer podcast. 
In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces, as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution is taking Georgia political coverage to the next level. Now, Georgia's smartest political team is adding Hall of Fame political broadcaster Bill Nygut. I am beyond thrilled to be joining the remarkable political team at the AJC. And with the year that we have unfolding in politics, it's going to be an exciting ride. Read Bill Nygut's expert insight on AJC.com and listen to the Politically Georgia podcast with me, Greg Bluestein, And me, Patricia Murphy. And me, Tia Mitchell. Hear new episodes every weekday. Only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution.